Now, immigration is likely to top the agenda tomorrow when the Doyle sits for the first time this year. Politicians return with the government facing severe criticism over its handling of the migration crisis, including from within its own ranks. A protest continues in Ross Grey right now after scuffles with Garthi yesterday and the UN Agency for Refugees. It says tonight it's deeply concerned over the number of unaccommodated asylum seekers in Ireland, passing 600 for the first time ever uh, and Kira Phelan of the Irish Examiner since this programme was last on air we've had protests in Ross Cahill Carlo Ballinrobe now uh, Ross Gray and Tipperary and all the while the number of asylum seekers uh, without accommodation continues to rise so uh, what are the figures tonight and what are you hearing in government circles about them? Yeah so tonight obviously the Department of Integration as has been the case for the last couple of Tuesdays have updated how many international protection applicants have not been offered state accommodation and that has surpassed 600 as of today so 601 people have not anywhere to stay as of tonight Um, it's actually the first time the figure has passed 600 since uh, direct provision many years ago and you know speaking to government sources today about that figure there's a lot of concern that that will continue to rise over the next couple of weeks I was speaking to you know some senior government figures this evening who said that there is some line of sight for accommodation for families and for children and women in particular but there there remains an extreme pressure point in terms of trying to secure accommodation for single males. We have seen the protests around the country, many counties that you've named out there um, and other areas over the last couple of months that we have spoken about on this programme so it remains a serious issue for this government and will no doubt be raised in the Dáil tomorrow. And what of the parliamentary party meetings tonight? Those mm-hmm. protests continuing and the number of unaccommodated asylum seekers to surpass 1,000 your hearing. So what did TDs tell their dear leaders tonight? Yeah, so there was um, a Fine Gael private parliamentary party meeting. Barry Ward might be able to tell us a little bit more about that. But um, I understand that many TDs and senators expressed at the meeting that, you know, there were reasonable people with genuine concerns in terms of the impact on services, like we have heard from people in Ross Grey. However, there is obviously an element as well that these protests are being hijacked for by far right groups. Um, we've seen that you know there's people from not from the areas travelling down to these protests. Um, essentially, a lot of locals are concerned about this. Um, however, Patrick O'Donovan, the the junior minister for the OPW, I understand, raised at the PP meeting tonight that the government can't be waving um, its finger at those who have genuine concerns and can't be painted as bad people. And essentially, the fear of losing the room when a term said comes. Protest- Protesters are, quote, not the Nazis some people would like to portray them as mm-hmm. uh, in, in relation to this ongoing issue uh, and the ongoing protest in Ross Grey tonight. What's been happening uh, around the, those around the accommodation at Racket Hall in the town? Yeah, the protest remains there, albeit a smaller number. I understand it. Um, we have seen, you know, move today by some locals to bring clothing and toys to those who are in the accommodation centre after yes after yesterday's scenes in terms of, you know, what everybody was surprised by, children scared going into that accommodation centre. Um, the Integration Minister Roderick O'Gorman met, met local representatives there today and there is discussion or potential examination now of, you know, funding for additional resources in the area and being reported tonight that perhaps that the government may look at uh, the funding of a hotel in the area itself.
So the, the government, we believe, are going to provide funding to reopen a disused hotel in the town uh, at a time when the uh, other hotel is being leased out to the Department of Integration. Potentially, I understand that Fianna Fáil TD, Jackie Call, it was a proposal brought forward by him and that he seems to have got some acknowledgement that the government will, ex- will essentially acknowledge possibly funding this. That was one of the major concerns that was being expressed by some of the protesters there today that said up until Thursday that the hotel was functioning you know I heard a lot of people even on RT shows talking about communions and weddings and other family events that that were being held there I think was mentioned yes yeah and essentially they were expressing frustration that the the only hotel functioning hotel in the town was no longer available to the public Barry Ward, what does it say about the government's response that in one hand uh, it is moving in the asylum seekers to one hotel in Ross Grey and, and closing it to the community and on the other hand tonight it's looking to buy another hotel in the same town. What does that say about the government's response? Well, it says the government is doing everything it can to ensure that we can accommodate people and I think <clears throat> like the, there is a lot of discussion about this and there is sometimes the conflation of immigration and international protection. They are different. Immigration is something we control and something which we need for the economy. International protection is something that is the subject of any number of international agreements. But, so, but closing one hotel yeah. and then buying another, is that not a cack-handed approach? The government didn't close any hotel. and uh, it's not To about the local ca- community? No, no, no. What the government is about doing is trying to find places where people can be accommodated. Uh, People are coming here from awful situations, uh, people we are obliged to take in under international agreements and people I hope we want to take in to safeguard them from wherever they're coming from. Now, the the reality is that the kind of accommodation people are going into is very much different. And one of the, the arguments I heard today was about the notion that they were taking housing away from Irish people. Th- these are places that are not suitable to house people on housing lists and things like that. It's, not, it's so a totally different Why then do you think people are protesting tonight? It's still well, at Ross I, Gray, I think, in spite of what you're saying. I think the solution actually to all of these issues is information. I think the more information people get locally, the better. Um, because when people understand exactly what's involved, I think that they will be much more relaxed about it. The danger is that they're getting information that is is not correct. They're getting information that is alarmist. They're being told certain things that, that aren't true. And I mean, they're perfectly entitled to be unhappy even after they know the truth. But the reality is that many of the problems can be answered with real information in good time for local communities so they know what's happening. But that, Kira, They have the information. They know exactly who's, sorry, they know exactly that there's 160 asylum seekers going into the hotel. That's they're, what I'm talking about. No, so you the, said that people yeah, didn't have the correct information. I'll tell, tell you what incorrect information and, they and have. No, no, yeah. no, let me, f- yeah. hold on a second. You're after saying that they don't have the correct information. Mm-hmm. They have the correct information and have had it for a number of days now. They were told 160 asylum seekers were going in there and that families and children would be going in there. 17 have and the re- protesters remain outside. So what more information do you think do protesters need from the government? Well, the things that I'm hearing them saying when they're interviewed by people from RTE and other media outlets is the, they talk about unbetted males. They talk about um, people who are economic migrants. That's all misinformation. That's the kind of information I'm talking about that needs to be addressed directly by government sources. So, for they example, they also speak of a hotel, and they also I know they speak do, and, and that, they are all legitimate complaints to have. And I don't criticise people for that. I don't know that they're going the best way about it, but that's another matter. I can totally understand when you're in a town and the hotel closes down, why you would be upset about that. That's totally reasonable. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is people who are objecting to these things on the basis of misinformation. 
information, stuff that isn't true, stuff that they don't need to be concerned about because it's not accurate. There is a job for the government to do to make sure that people understand that, that the issues that they are, some of the issues they're concerned about are not issues they need to be With concerned about. With the greatest about. respect, Senator, the last time we shared a studio here was talking about protests in McGowan House and Clare last May and you were saying the same thing. Yep. So has the and government got on top of this no, issue? No, the, there are two factors involved in this. First of all, it's fast evolving. So we know that there's, it's, there's that's a huge six demand. or seven months ago no, no, and it's still the, the same issues at play. The, the, the fast evolving can happen within a week. So you can't advise people more than a week out if you only get the information yourself within a week. But what I'm saying is that we all have a job to do to make sure that people understand the reality of what's happening. Matt Carthy, why do you think people are still protesting tonight and indeed have been protesting in other locations over the last few weeks? Well, well, first of all, just to say, I understand a lot of the causes of the frustrations and indeed anger in some communities. But I would say this, it isn't appropriate to protest outside where people are living and where people are being accommodated. Um, and I know um, the you know, tensions can be high in, in lo- lots of places. I've been dealing with this issues for, for several years. My own community was one of the first to deal with what became moved from direct provision to international protection emergency accommodation. And I saw where hotels, where businesses just overnight became centres of accommodation for, in some instances, large numbers of, of people. And I completely understand why people would be frustrated about that. I've also seen, by the way, previously, um, accommodation and resettlement programmes for people seeking protection being done right. So what's um, your message to the people of Ross Grey tonight who say they have legitimate concerns? They have legitimate concerns. I so think it, I, I, I think there is a problem when a functional commercial hotel overnight is removed from a community. I think that's you're, a problem. You're I think that's a, call a, I think yes, I don't think that their protest should be against those people who happen to be moved into the hotel. I think it should be at the mismanagement of go- of government and there is mismanagement. Um, I'm so where do they bring their concerns then? To government buildings for a start, to their local government representatives. There are mechanisms where people can protest in a way that doesn't make children feel frightened and that's what happened yesterday and that's why I think there's a need for a, dis- a distinction between between the two. You know, there is, a, there is every right for communities to say that some locations may not be appropriate, that some towns may have already um, be, been asked to accommodate you know, what could be described in, by any reasonable person as a fair, a fair share in terms of... And, there is, and it is legitimate for people to ask about services that in many rural communities have already been um, undermined. GP services, schools yeah, under we'll pressure... Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Other, I want to, to bring areas. Mark McSharry in as well. But before I do, can I ask about the attendance of the Sinn Féin Tipperary TD... Martin Brown at the uh, gathering in Ross Grey on Saturday. Some of your political opponents have questioned whether that was appropriate. What is your view? So my understanding is Martin attended what was a public meeting described as a, as a public meeting where he outlined his position. And I haven't heard anybody saying anything um, that Martin Brown actually uttered, which is important, uh, was untoward or, uh, or inappropriate Yeah, what, what at he all, said was all. what communities expect and, is and, to be and informed is, on something yeah, of this and nature is, is planned. And there is, there is a distinction between you know, meetings of that nature and people protesting outside 
outside premises where people are living and I think that's, that is that is an important but thing. But other Sinn Féin TDs for instance in East Wall there was no presence of a Sinn Féin TD at the protest there and likewise in other parts of the country. So what is the Sinn Féin stance here? Are TDs welcome to attend these gatherings because uh, it appears that they haven't in other situations? No and at the end of the day this is a matter for people to decide themselves. It is important that elected representatives are rooted in their communities that they're engaged in their communities there have been public meetings I'm saying that if it's done in the correct way with the with the correct bona fides and with the with the with the correct approach the way I have dealt with this matter is and I'm dealing with the department on an ongoing basis because every single day I get rumor some innuendo sometimes absolutely baseless um, suggestions that X building will be used. It is then left up to me as an elected representative to try and um, ascertain information from the department. It is like pulling hen's teeth. In some instances they say negotiations are ongoing but we won't provide you with any, any information. And these are at the moment buildings that are currently being used for businesses. So if if it transpires that I as an elected representative convey to people that no actually that building isn't being considered and then it turns into, it turns out that it was and has been part of a negotiation well then what happens is those people who are spreading those rumours get legitimacy in within the local community because Mark, they call the right when the local re- elected McSharry, representatives you, you, had misinformation you, 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 from you, government. You've listened to government and opposition there argue the toss. What's your own view of these protests? Yeah, Thanks very much Barry. <coughs> I'm not new to this issue. Uh, in fact um, while, while the media are late to it, uh, the government are even later. Um, so for over a year and a half, this has been a growing problem, a growing symptom. Uh, why do you think that the is? Why do you think and everybody there? else have proceeded with their reactionary approach to everything rather than a strategic one. There are three things. The first one is, at a European level, immigration policy is an utter disgrace. There is no adequate coordination. There is no agreed unilateral approach for the 27 EU member states. Uh, and it's a free for all. For example, and Barry mentioned some of the things and agreements were signed up to. The primary one would be the 1951 UN Convention on the Treatment of Refugees. Denmark are as signed up to it as us, as they are the temporary directive, as signed up to it as us. But they take a very, very different approach. That's number one. The second thing uh, is uh, when the war on the Ukraine started, we decided to offer a level of supports that were up to 1,800% better than the worst being offered in Denmark on that occasion. Inevitably, that leads to greater numbers and the proof is in the pudding. The third thing is the government are about add insult to injury with legislation next week to prevent people getting high levels of social supports coming from the Ukraine. However, those already here, the 100,000, will continue to get them. Now, all that does is exacerbate what is a discriminatory process. So if I'm fleeing the war in Syria or persecution in Somalia or in Nigeria, I'll get my 38 euro. But because I'm from the Ukraine and I may be driving an X5 Jeep, or a Porsche cheap, as I saw in one particular time. <laughs> I'm not no, sure. In fair, oh, no, well, I'm sure. I'm sure, and I'll stand over. Right? So what I'm saying is, these three things all come together to make a very frustrated nation. And one very last point. Briefly. We have pitched accommodation providers, purchasers, hotel owners, B&B owners, against 
normal market forces by providing gilt-edge contracts to prioritise taking IPAs or Ukrainians a, a, a over there, tourism or over people looking for uh, housing. Senator Ward, just to address the point that uh, Deputy McSharry raised in relation to the supports offered to those arriving from Ukraine, because we did hear uh, Roger O'Gorman saying the plans are, are being finalised in relation to, to the new arrivals. What's your response to Mark McSharry? Well, I'm not entirely sure the point that Mark was making about X5s and cars and all the rest. Well, they it's will. No, no, I'm, not, no, I'm not saying it's not How a fact. I'm saying I didn't understand what you were saying, Mark. But the point is that because actually, Ordram have among the highest Sorry, in the country. Barry Ward, and, and, and sadly, I am telling you, I am telling you, that not all of the people that have come. No, you said you weren't sure what the point was making. What I'm saying is, some of these people are better healed than you are yourself, and they're getting 232 euros per week plus a medical card plus free home and we're entitled to examine that just like we are. People the, the, door. the decision that was made by the government was to streamline the supports that are available to people as they are across other European countries. No, and it also, stream, Sorry, it, also streamlines board, it. it also streamlines it with what's given to international protection applicants. Now, anybody coming here is not coming here because of the supports. They're coming here because they're fleeing a war zone. And we have to be cognizant of that. And that the is true, that is true of, of the Ukrainians. It's also true of a lot of the international protection applicants who are coming here, who are coming here having suffered appalling things. And, you know, there, but for the grace of God, and Ukrainians and are getting two hundred and twenty. Be, because because they're different, they fall into well, different categories. Different? Because Ukrainians are temporary ap- protection applicants, temporary and international protection applicants are different. They are different legal instruments, Mark. And I think you know this. No, I don't. And the reality is, nothing. It was a choice by government. It was a choice by government. I tell you what, Mark. I'll answer the question. I want to discriminate over me. IPAs, but I want to give more to Ukrainians. Gentlemen, I just want to give me the answer to that question. Gentlemen, let's, let's just pivot towards a different aspect of this, please. Well, it's a very important question now. It is a very important question Briefly. and I would no, like to answer it. government made a Mark, choice Mark, here. And it's such an important question and you're going to exacerbate it no, now at the legislation. No, the reality is that when the, the war broke out, the, the Russian aggression against Ukraine broke out, it was an entirely different circumstance of Ukrainians coming here. They are coming here temporarily they all want to return home or most of them want to return home. They are quite in a different position from international protection applicants who are fleeing places they most likely will never be able to go back to and they're in quite different circumstances and that's why it's different. And I, I think ordinary people understand I just that. wanted to draw the conversation but towards the re- re- uh, resources. I, resources. The issue of resources which has also been referenced quite a lot by the protesters in the various towns. Uh, lack of services for the community such as school places, uh, doctors, dental services uh, and other services is provided by the state. Is there sufficient cooperation between the various departments, Matt Carthy, There's from none. your experience? There is literally none and that is part of the problem. It goes back to the point I was making earlier on. I know in my own community we've had, we've had Congolese resettlement programme at one stage. We had a Syrian re- um, refugee resettlement um, programme at one point. Months in advance all the stakeholders, I was, I was a local councillor at the time, we were brought brought into not information meetings, not to be handed information, but actually engagement meetings where the HSE were there, the local GPs were represented, local schools were part of the, the conversation. Those systems worked incredibly well. Now what is happening is the, the only criteria, literally the only criteria that determines where people who are seeking international protection are housed is the availability of buildings. And what that does is, as Mark has a point on this, create a huge incentive for owners of property or in some instances now property speculators to purchase um, um, properties with no heed so to the, su- the su- su- suitability. And the, the fundamentally, well, it, it goes back to the old adage, I wouldn't start here. But in the first instance, you have to engage all of those stakeholders. Because if, so what, as what GPs are... What criteria would you use for deciding 
where people are going to be accommodated. In the same instances as any other development, there is no other development. There is no, no other... No, no, you said is, that the only criteria, you, the only criterion yes. used is where accommodation is yes. available. What different criteria would you apply? I have, I have said what the other criteria should be. The availability of surf, uh, of of services and the suitability of the location. So what are the list of locations that you think are available to people now there to are do that? Dozens. What do you want me to do? There Start naming sites? Of course there are. Of course there are. But here's the problem. Here's the problem and the fundamental but problem with international protection and it goes back to the direct provision system in that we created a vested interest in the protection of the most vulnerable people who come to this country that's through privatised privatised systems well, that allow some small number of people that in communities to make an yeah. awful lot of money just, that is while not communities the are asked to pay the price. Yes, map. it is. And it might suit you politically to say no, that. It's but if we go back a year, your party was saying there's no way we can accommodate these people. You said when the war broke out in Ukraine, there's no way we could take more, tw- more than twenty or 30,000 people. There are over 104,000 people here now. 75,000 of them have people come from on the streets. So let's there are 600 people living mass. on the streets. That's let's, a let's acknowledge, that's Matt, and maybe that's you can do this. Do you think you could acknowledge that actually the government has gone well beyond what anybody thought was possible and there's an enormous achievement in accommodating those 104,000 people? There are 600 people, people living on the so streets and there are communities all over the country right. that feel that they have not been listened to and most of them, the vast majority of them are not anti-migrant because most of them were either migrants themselves or someone belonging to them was they are not unwelcoming because they have actually been part of, re- of welcoming programmes up until this point and they have lost patients because they believe that government is actually forcing them to accept something and then accusing them of all sorts when they raise any sort of concern. On the issue of of, of medical doctors for instance and uh, we've even heard Patrick O'Donovan saying at your parliamentary party meeting today uh, in relation to uh, the protesters that they have legitimate concerns Um, what is the criteria for instance for the provision of medical services in towns where international protection applicants are being moved into? Well there's a couple of things first of all as you'll be aware that today the government has specifically said that additional resources will be assigned to towns, villages, places extra where... Extra doctors, yeah, extra teachers. Yeah, those extra resources, they will abs- that, that is the plan to be there. The details of it haven't been set out yet, but that is something that will be done. But I can tell you from my own experience, where for example, get them where my own experience in Black Rock, where, for example, they are putting international protection applicants into a, a disused office building and they are providing, for example, on-site counselling services for people, many of whom are traumatised, and on-site medical, which comes on-site and is done there and then so they don't have to rely on local medical services. But the the danger with this is that Sinn Féin are telling us all of this should have been done and yet they're providing no answers. So Matt says he would accommodate them in places where there are doctors available or schools available but where are they going to stay? He tells us that um, that he won't acknowledge at all the achievements the government have been made nor will he tell us for example where he would accommodate the 601 people who don't have accommodation at the moment. Mark McSharry. Yes, what would you do? I'll tell you what i do for a start, right? First of all, same payment for everybody. 38 euros plus supports. Second thing, we managed to put modular housing in Sligo, 22 of them extremely quickly. There's a £35 million farm out there called Thornton Hall. Get together immediately, use the same emergency planning that you use for uh, for the modular housing, uh, build a massive holding centre there immediately. What we have done here is reckless in the extreme, and it'll feed into a thing we're mentioning later on in terms of small business and hospitality closing. 30% of all hotels nationally now housing Ukrainians. That's 60 to 100% on the western seaboard. Towns like Ardrand, Donegal, Bondor, and Rosses Point and Sligo, La Clear, and many, many more. It is totally unsustainable. Totally. And instead of focusing on this protest or that protest, because sadly there'll always be protest, and I, I condone and condemn all wanton violence and burning stuff and any of that madness that's going on. However, 
it's time government bloody well acknowledged there are sensible, educated people in Middle Ireland who have just had enough. And we would like acknowledgement that. You haven't. We you like acknowledgement that. No, just let me finish and I promise I'll shut up then. You haven't actually we, told us what the solutions are. So You've I, told I us. I gave you four things no, that no, I would do. Let me go through I gave you four and things that I would do. One, one, said you, you said one, one last thing. Pay. Sorry, one last uh, thing. One last thing, okay? Um, I would also talk in a European context to our colleagues <laughs> and I would imply, and you kept asking Matt this, I'd apply the same criteria that Denmark seemed to be doing, okay. that France seemed to be doing, and every Barry other Ward, yeah. Barry so Ward, you, you told to us that, you'd please. cut the pay and you'd make it the same. I don't know how that solves any problem. You, no, you, Barry would, Ward, Barry you said you'd reduce, uh, you said you would reduce and, it all to 38.50. I don't know how that solves the problem. 38 euro. Whatever it is, you might stop attracting people, or maybe some of the 75,000 people who can go home might choose to go home. Back, in fairness, not yeah, everyone. Let's, let's, say, let's say we reduce, reduce it to everyone. Where are those people going to go? Do you think they're going to all trot back to the Ukraine? Well, or they do you think they're going to be there every back? other week. No, they aren't, Mark. And Visiting like, family and friends that, that in, is, in, in that Western is, Ukraine. That's really fast in Western Ukraine. Ukraine. You know very well no, I don't that know it, very there are well. lots of those people. Well, I don't know very well. Gentlemen, Matt Carthy, let's hear a word from your good self. There's 1,100 of them living in Sligo. So here's the difficulty. Barry. I've literally been shouted down by Mark McSherry. He says he had four solutions. I got to talk about the first one and I didn't even get to finish the sentence without being shouted down. Well, speak quicker. <laughs> uh, you're, both talking right over e- you. you're both talking over each other, which will do no good for our listeners and, dare I say, no good for the voters either. Well, I'm uh, not <laughs> Matt Carthy, so. is there a sense here as well, is there a fear of cultural differences? Just hearing Paul Murphy's report there on prime time from Ross Gray, people talking of feeling, quote-unquote, intimidated uh, in town. Is that to do with a fear of, of perhaps cultural differences? I'm sure there is a sense of that. And, and to be quite frank, we know that there has always been you know, a very nasty element. You know, it's a small element, I would say, that have tried on repeated occasions, arguably since the 1990s, to stoke up type of tensions that we've seen in other parts of the world. Largely, they've been unsuccessful. And basically, the reason they have is because by and large, the Irish people are compassionate and they're a fair people. And if they see a system that is compassionate and fair, well, then they'll, uh, they'll embrace that. The difficulty at the moment is that they, they don't see the system as being very compassionate, to be quite frank. As we mentioned, some people are living on the, on the streets. It is not compassionate to put... 30 or 60 men into a building on a main street where no, with nowhere and to go except that main, are, are main not, street. They're not here for economic reasons either. No, We've they're genuine. No, I'm talking, these are genuinely, these are genuine people who are genuinely entitled to seek international protection. They're also entitled to have that application processed quickly, which hasn't always been the, the case either. But when you have a situation where there are main streets in towns that I know where Four, and in some instances, five buildings are used for this purpose. The people within them have nowhere else to go except hang out on the main street. There are those living within the community who then feel uncomfortable walking through groups of what they would consider to be strangers in a way that they never would have had to do in the town or village that they grew up uh, um, before. So there is a, obviously That's a sense of unease. perhaps are needed. No? Obviously, yes, and that is part of it. But as well, those conversations need to take place before the contracts are signed because the government is chasing its own tail right across the issues we've seen. Government sign a contract with a private operator, then 
tell the community at the very last minute with the stated yeah, exactly. re- the rationale because if we told them beforehand the protests would happen before, before yeah, the earlier of other issues whereas there rather well. the Look, better be approach would be to actually have a proper well. engagement now, If you tell them beforehand that you want to re- go and take that hotel then the price goes up because they can't go back on it Matt. So let's apply a little bit of common sense and will you please acknowledge that when you say some of them in the street it's half a percent of the people the 104,000 people who've been accommodated in this country by the, the decency of Irish people and the provision of services by the Irish state. Why is it that you cannot acknowledge the amount of work that Look, has been done in this area and the successes that we have had? Because what I, I'm saying is it's Gentlemen, there's lots battle. to run on this 600, uh, over 600 people on the streets unaccommodated asylum seekers uh, and in reference to an earlier point, many of them without some of the cars that were mentioned or all of them, without some of the cars For that sure, were mentioned absolutely. earlier on in the discussion. The but immigration, Mark McSharry is also top of the political agenda across the water. The controversial Rwanda bill debated in the House of Commons earlier, causing plenty of headaches for the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. And just before we came on air, Whitehall editor at the Financial Times, Lucy Fisher, brought us up to speed on events at Westminster. Well, it's been a day of turmoil uh, in Westminster over the uh, Rwanda safety bill, the emergency legislation that Rishi Sunak first introduced into the Commons last month uh, in order to try and assuage the concerns of the Supreme Court, um, which had warned that at present the uh, government's flagship Rwanda removals policy, um, this proposal to um, remove uh, all asylum seekers uh, who come to the UK via the the channel to Rwanda, unlawful on the basis that Rwanda was not a safe country. Now, we've heard uh, before Christmas from the rebels uh, on his right flank that they did not believe that this um, bill went far enough and after lots of toing and froing and trying to pressure the Prime Minister to bring in his own amendments, we tighten the legislation in his own way, um, uh, 60 Tory MPs on the right flank of the party voted uh, for amendments um, today in the biggest rebellion of the Prime Minister's premiership to date. And indeed, two deputy Conservative Party chairs quit the party. So a pretty damaging day for Rishi Sunak. And those party chairs, Lee Anderson and Brendan Clark-Smith, will their resignations, their departures, how, how, how big a blow will they be to the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak? Well, look, in one sense, you know, they're not members of the government. They are, you know, members of, of the high echelons of the party. But it's nonetheless pretty darn damaging for Rishi Sunak that um, it has handed the opposition parties the ability to say, look, you know, we've always said that this Rwanda policy is for the birds. It isn't going to work in its aims of stopping those small boats crossing the channel. Uh, and now, look, senior Tories agree with us. They're saying the same, that this plan, uh, this legislation that Rishi Sunak has brought forward is is not fit for purpose. So I think it is damaging. Uh, and, you know, the danger is not over. We have another day of fraught um, debate tomorrow um, and the government are going to bring forward the crucial third reading of this bill um, at which we could potentially see um, you know, Tory MPs on the right of the party vote against it. And what are we likely to hear tomorrow? And what of the trajectory of the bill? Will it pass through the House of Commons and, and what of the House of Lords? Well, look, it's so far the, the briefing tonight has been that the government is confident that the bill will pass tomorrow, but it would still be 
you know, um, a, a bad display of infighting and disunity in the Conservative Party at the beginning of this election year um, if there are people defying a three-line whip in Sunak's backbenches by voting against it. And even then, you know, you raise this issue of what happens in the House of Lords. There could potentially be um, a lot of opposition in the Lords who um, may point out that this wasn't a manifesto pledge. They're not bound by the so-called Salisbury Convention that means that, you know, the unelected chamber backs proposals passed by the elected chamber when there is a democratic mandate um, for them. So uh, I think, you know, this is going to be um, legislation that has a long way to go before facilitating flights to Rwanda getting off the ground in any significant number. A long way to go, you say, but the spectra of a general election as well coming in Britain this year as well. To what extent has this furore undermined Rishi Sunak's premiership and um, are, are some of his colleagues perhaps looking to, to replace them? Dare we mention uh, th- those two words, Boris Johnson tonight? Well, uh, I- interestingly, there are there is a conversation swirling this week about whether Sunak could be replaced. I think most in the Conservative Party think it's too late before the next general election. Many, you know, stick to their position that it would make the party look ridiculous to have its fourth uh, leader, um, you know, since the last general election. But there are, there is that sense of intrigue swirling in SW1. I do think, you know, this is a very bad look for Rishi Sunak to have this kind of um, uh, disunity infighting on display, but also, as you say, people talking um, past the next election to what happens after. And I think it's going to be, um, in in an ironic sense, make a Conservative defeat a fait accompli if people start to behave like that is, you know, inevitable. Um, And we see more of this ill-discipline and um, the kind of beauty parade of figures on the right who might hope to take the mantle for him after uh, the party loses the next election. You mentioned Annie Law is still a long way off and we know the Tories are, are lagging in opinion polls as well. So what is the, the public opinion on these proposals from Rishi Sunak? Is there support for them or, or what are people saying? Well, what the polls show is that people are concerned about immigration uh, across the public as a whole. It's the third most important issue to voters after the economy, cost of living and the NHS. However, there's also polling that suggests for those voters who backed the Conservatives in 2019, people that they really need to hang on to, particularly in the Red Wall, the North and Midlands seats they won last time, often by very small margins, that among those 2019 Tory voters, immigration is now the most important subject. It, it, it tops the economy and the health service. So I think that just shows that you know the government needs to make progress. And really, they are pinning most of their hopes on this Rwanda policy. If they were to sort of give it up or, or allow it to proceed only slowly without making much progress before the country heads to the polls, um, they will be um, in, in trouble because there aren't backup options for trying to small, stop the small boats that are still coming in large number across the channel. Lucy Fisher there, Whitehall editor of the Financial Times, speaking to me a little earlier. Well, lots of you getting in touch to 51551 and lots of people asking our panellists to stop talking over each other. So, gentlemen, there's your yellow card. Please don't let me get the red card out after this break.